Sometimes we feel paralyzed by fear and body hatred. In order to feel better about ourselves and live the life we really want to manifest, we have to own up to our difficult feelings and self-sabotaging thoughts and behaviors. We all enter this world naked, and now it's time to feel good naked. No matter what your body size or your life circumstances, this is Feel Good Naked Radio, and your host is Lar Redmond. On this program, Lar will help you become more embodied, self-empowered, and mindful to take charge of whom you really are and to live the life you deserve to live. Now, here's your host, Laura Redmond. Welcome back to Feel Good Naked Radio. I am so pumped up and excited about today's show, especially because it happens to be the holidays wherever wherever you live. This is the time of year where I love taking a close look at my life, looking inside, looking at my habits, feeling what needs to be rewired for the new year is how I think of it, or rebooted. So to be more empowered, to be more embodied, the point of the show. Um, Before we introduce uh, Melanie, who is an incredible guest today coming to us from British Columbia, I wanted to talk about what Ayurveda means, because if you're like me, you see the word a lot now, it's becoming thankfully more common. Ayurveda medicine, um, Ayurvedic healing, the word shows up a lot. And many of us, including me, did not deeply understand that word until I dove into Melanie's work. I've seen it, I've kind of danced around it, but I didn't get what it really is. So if you're like me, I want to bring you into a deeper understanding of the word Ayurveda. So thousands of years before modern medicine gave us the scientific evidence for the mind-body connection, the sages of India developed Ayurveda, which continues to be one of the world's most sophisticated and powerful mind-body health systems. More than a mere system of treating illness, Ayurveda is a science of life. Ayur is life and Veda is science or knowledge. And it offers a body of wisdom designed to help people stay vibrant and healthy while realizing their full human potential. The two guiding principles of Ayurveda are one, the mind and the body are inextricably connected, and two, nothing has more power to heal and transform the body than the mind. And I took that off of Deepak Chopra's website. Um, Probably he's one of the voices I've often heard use the word Ayurveda in the public eye, and um, Now I tell you a little bit about our guest today, Melanie. Melanie Phillips is a certified clinical Ayurvedic specialist with advanced training under the direction of Dr. Ladd, one of the leading pioneers of Ayurvedic medicine in North America. Having immersed herself in ashram living and study at the Bihar University in India and having taught for more than 16 years, Melanie's embodiment of Ayurveda, yoga, and a multitude of energy modalities has earned her excellence in leadership, teaching, and mentorship for those seeking a way home to their intuitive and brilliant nature. Welcome to the show, Melanie Phillips. Thank you so much, Laura. I'm very thrilled to be here with you today. 
That was a lot of language to get you here because I realized that as a healer, you work in a world that is your familiar. And I think something like the word Ayurveda is so invaluable for people to know about who have never really understood that the healing available to them is not necessarily a doctor's office with a prescription to go home and fill at the pharmacy. Yeah. Uh, You know, that's just one way. And there's nothing wrong with Western medicine. And in fact, uh, a lot of the time Western medicine can be very uh, useful and even life-saving. And uh, we have a culture and a society that is dependent on going and getting a prescription filled when there's so much power that lives in understanding who we are and how powerful we are as humans. And that when essentially we provide an environment for healing to happen, then that's what occurs. You know, we are part of nature and we're not separate from it. So when we can establish a healing environment or set up the most optimal situation and circumstance for healing to occur, nature will move through and nature will heal us. And this is what's so powerful about Ayurvedic medicine and any other forms of natural healing is that it's more about setting up the proper environment and in a way getting out of the way. Some yeah. people think, oh, Ayurveda is about, you know, I have to eat these specific foods or do these certain things. And that's part of it is understanding, you know, which foods are going to be most appropriate for your unique dosha or constitution. And a lot of it, and really where my focus is on in my practice of Ayurveda and healing medicine, working with clients, is to look at the deeper root causes of dis-ease, of imbalance, of symptoms. And that, uh, almost all the time, we have to look at the psycho-emotional component, component of disease. We can't ignore that. Yeah, and, and there's so much I want to dive into about that. But I do want to share with you something I found this week while looking more thoroughly into this whole concept of what's happened in our United States with this use of antidepressants. I thought you would find this interesting before we leave that topic. And what I found and what I bring to the listeners is that there are 30 million women here in the United States that are taking antidepressants and one out of every four women in their 40s and 50s take them. Antidepressants aren't just being prescribed for depression. They're being given to those struggling with PMS, stress irritability, anxiety, lack of sleep, and so on. So if antidepressants aren't really a cure for any of these conditions or even a safe way to treat the symptoms, I would think something like your method, which I want to name, is the Madhuri method. Is that, Am I saying it correctly? Yeah, Madhuri method or, you know, in the Western world, we'll often say Madhuri, but it's Madhuri is the Sanskrit pronunciation, but Madhuri or anything in between is totally fine. So your Maduri method would be the sort of thing that I would think would be so much more effective for those 30 million women that are being told to take an antidepressant. 
Mm-hmm. Yes, if if there's willingness, and I think that's the big piece of any form of natural medicine is you need to understand that it's not a quick fix. Uh, it can be, and it can also take time. Uh, and then we need the willingness and the commitment to say, you know what, I'm going to I'm gonna follow this path, and I'm going to uh, do the inner work and the outer work to bring myself back to a place of, of healing. And the reason I feel so passionate about this is because I was sick for nearly a decade with an autoimmune condition, and so I know that this works. Um, and I think there's healing for everybody in Ayurveda, and I want to just differentiate that between curing, but we can heal so deeply because Ayurveda touches into the spiritual aspect of who we are. Uh, and so even if we don't, quote unquote, cure a disease, we can still heal and, and return to our wholeness. And that's essentially the, the root of the philosophy of the Madhuri method is the understanding that you are already whole. Not coming from a place of lack, of brokenness, uh, of even of dis-ease. We can take that and go, okay, there's, there's work to be done to return to wholeness, to existing in that state. But essentially, we're not broken. And when we can connect back into the knowing that we are connected to source, to spirit, to God, whatever word you want to use, there's so much healing in and of itself in that connection. To me, that is the the healing, is when we reconnect not just to ourself and to our soul's longing, but also to source. And so that's where the healing comes from. It comes from beyond us. Well, your story compelled me because you suffered horrible loss. You mentioned what you had struggled through with your physical challenges. So you're someone who has really used your healing method to heal. And I always have much more respect for people that are here to teach what they're here to learn. And so maybe take the listeners through your own struggle with physical pain and sickness. Let's start there with what you went through and maybe you were going through a medical system. How did you find this idea of healing and wholeness that could give you relief after 10 years? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so my my foray into Ayurveda was really through my own illness, as I mentioned. And I had understood or learned a little bit about Ayurveda when I was living in India. And I'd already been a yoga teacher and sort of in that world. But this was, you know, almost 20 years ago. And Ayurveda definitely was not a common term. Nobody knew what that was. But I was in India and I was there in India and Asia for about nine months. I was living in an ashram there and I got extremely sick, but I didn't really realize how sick I was. And I was in another country and everything's a little bit different anyway. And and when I finally returned to Canada, uh, where I live, I realized that I was so far from where I had been in my health. I was trained as a professional dancer and was essentially an athlete. And when I got back from that trip from Asia, I could barely walk up a flight of stairs without feeling exhausted. Mm -hmm. It was like someone had just taken the plug of my energy out of the wall socket and was like, zoom, and I was just flattened. And I was quite young at the time and didn't really have any resources, financial and otherwise. Uh, But I knew 
that I had, there was something wrong. So I went to the doctor and they did tons of tests, you know, AIDS and diabetes and every, everything under the sun they did. And so my regular doctor, my uh, family physician said, well, we'll send you to the foreign disease specialist. You know, you've just come back from Asia. Maybe you've got something weird. So they send me off to the Toronto General Hospital and you wait months for these things to, to actually uh, be completed. And I went in the day to get my results from the specialist and I was quite excited thinking, you know, finally someone's going to tell me what's wrong and we can fix it. You know, we can we can find a solution. And I got into the specialist's office and he picked up the piece of paper, just skimmed over it, my results from the tests and he just looked at me and he said, well, there's nothing wrong with you. And in that moment, I felt deflated. I felt... I had lost hope, really, because I thought if this is the top, like if you're the foreign disease specialist (laughs) and you can't help me and you're telling me that nothing is wrong and I know in my body and in my bones that I'm not right, that I'd gone from being a healthy person my whole life and life and being a dancer and very active and sports to feeling like I was lifeless. And I knew there was something wrong and I thought, this is, this is crazy, that I'm essentially just being brushed off to the side. There's nothing they can do with do for me. So I was left to my own devices. And, and I remembered Ayurveda and I thought, you know what? I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to heal myself uh, or at least do the best that I can. And so I began to study Ayurveda. And I went to an Ayurvedic college. And I wasn't really at that time thinking that I would become a practitioner myself. I really just wanted some answers and I wanted to heal And it was not a quick fix. I was sick for almost a decade. But the principles of Ayurveda, the philosophy, the food, the herbs, all of that was the slow and steady healing that I needed. And then also looking at the deeper mental emotional components of what was keeping me regurgitating illness, Mm. keeping me in that stuck place like why why don't people heal like why don't we get better and you know science is now telling us that our liver regenerates our bones we're getting a new new cells all the time like we're replenishing so why are we still staying stuck in disease patterns that's what was very interesting to me Uh, so uh, along with Ayurveda I began to study energy medicine and the marriage of these two things for me has been absolutely phenomenal in understanding myself and also the clients that I work with. We can't separate, you know, the body from the mind, from the emotions, from the spirit. We're, we're one being, we're one organism. And so we have to look at all of those layers uh, in order to understand deeply what's going on. We can't just say, well, what's going on in your liver if you've got a liver problem or what's going on in your colon if you've got issues in your colon. We cannot just separate organs or even systems. We have to look back through the whole person's history and understanding how is the birth, how is the childhood, what makes them uh, tick now, what are the belief systems, where are they not loving themselves or even liking themselves, where are they stuck in their disconnect from source, where are they cutting off from spirit? Yeah, oh, it's so it, it, that is just so powerful. And often I speak about on this show how embodiment, and I'm thinking about this right now, 
the the whole idea of this program was to bring knowledge and information from the best people in their field that are working with embodiment from either a physical, spiritual, mental, or emotional modality. And so what you just made me feel was that completeness about really what the word embodiment means. And you said the word path. I always like reminding listeners that it's a process and a path. I love the word path because you're on it till the last breath you take. And so the real question becomes, what do you want to do with the time that you have on this path? You know, if feeling exhausted, feeling completely ill, that's not the way to live. So you're giving me a great feeling about what it really means to be alive. And I wanted to go back to your point about disease patterns, because I know the great Louise Hay, um, who passed away this year, talked so much about that in the early 70s when she healed her own cancer. And the thought patterns, as she spoke about it, were much more prevalent for the perpetuating disease than the actual prognosis of disease. So I think mapping our patterns, our disease patterns is such a useful idea. When you spoke of your disease patterns, what did you learn that you didn't know? Mm. So uh, a lot of different things I learned. I learned things on the physical, the mental, emotional, psycho-emotional components. So on a physical level, once I began to study Ayurveda, I realized Uh, that for my specific constitution, that being vegetarian, which I had been for about 15 years, was not conducive to my healing. Um, And I know this might be controversial, but I'm just speaking from my own experience and my own understanding of um, Ayurveda. Please, Uh, yeah. For me specifically, and it was such a paradigm shift for me because I had been vegetarian, I had been a yoga teacher, and I had these moral reasons and ethical reasons. So... uh, it, it pushed my boundaries of just something as practical as like the food that I took in. But that was also when I'm really honest with myself and look back um, that a lot of my disease pattern was tied into mm, trying to rid myself of the ego, which in certain spiritual circles is the goal is the path of like, you know, essentially clearing the ego so that you can be, egoless. And interestingly enough, from an Ayurvedic perspective, a lot of autoimmune conditions. So in yoga, there's a word called ahankar, which means inus. It's essentially the ego. And that sense of inus, when it's not strong, when it's not um, stable, then there's that ahankar. That's, there's a sense of inus in every cell of the body. So when we lose that in our psyche, then our cells can become distorted also. Our organs can misfunction. It's like our whole body gets confused about who am I and what what is my role of this liver cell? What am I supposed to do? So that sense of ahankar, that sense of inus, needs to be a healthy ego. And this is something in my spiritual journey that I needed to learn and, and move through and come back to the wholeness of going, oh, I don't need to get rid of my ego. In fact, that can lead to disease. And I I see for myself that a root cause, uh, that's tied in there. And it's really about bringing our remembrance of our divinity back into ourselves, if we've lost that, if we've forgotten that, if there's any sense of self-loathing, of 
uh, negativity towards ourself, this is going to create distortion in our nervous system and in the cells of our body. So I'm assuming you went then to a non-vegetarian life, knowing that it was better for the way you were going to heal to not be vegetarian? Yes, I began to incorporate some meat products. And I don't eat lots of meat, but um, it really serves me well to be having some you know, healthy organic meat products in my diet. And also to expand my mind and live in a place of gratitude opposed to controlling or, you know, that duality of this is good, this is bad, this is right, this is wrong, of saying, what if it is all God? What if it is all divine? And it's my level of consciousness. It's my level of connection to whatever I'm engaging with, whether it is my meal and that piece of meat and my gratitude for the the love and the life that is being given so that I may be here on this planet. So, you know, we can have, we can be vegan and vegetarian and be a really angry person or really, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's, to me, it's all about what's our level of consciousness and how open is our heart. Yeah, that is such a good point. And, you know, I really like what you're saying about this ego and diet and, um, competitive is the word I was getting because I think we are, in a very egoic time with information, and although I'm grateful that there's so much information that's available now, at the same time, there can be a competitive energy. I, I used to feel it when I took yoga, and it was so, it must have been coming up in me because I was feeling it so much in the group energy of yoga. And I'd leave the class and I'd have a stiff neck and I would feel like I had pulled my back and I thought, okay, something is really off. This is yoga and I feel like I've just gotten injured by my own efforts in the class. And I know looking back at that, that was so egoic and me like, oh, I'm a dancer. I can do a downward dog. Watch this, you know, but that can happen in diet. That can happen in the yoga world. That can happen in meditation, for God's Absolutely. sake. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I think it's such a relief when you realize, oh, wait, what do I actually need and want? What is really good for me? What, what, what am I restricting that I need to receive? Yes. So yes. I'm, I'm really glad you brought that up because you can feel downright shameful if you still aren't vegetarian in the competitive, egoic media world of brainwashing and manipulation and marketing. But but there's something so empowering to ask yourself the honest question of what is best for you. Absolutely. And that's how I like to work with my clients when they come. And so many people say, you know, what food should I eat? And what is this? And really... I think the empowerment comes in teaching people to listen inwards. And sure, we can take, you know, an Ayurvedic food list. Here are the best foods uh, according to your constitution or your dosha. However, that's general. Everyone is unique. Everyone is individual. So how can, can one food list or one idea work for everybody? It doesn't. And that is the essence of Ayurveda of saying everything is unique. And can you be still enough within yourself to feel and to listen to what your unique body 
is communicating to you. Our body's a barometer, right? And, and if not, then that's why we have the Ayurvedic guidelines because in the beginning, a lot of people are so frazzled. And like you say, there's so much brainwashing and information now on social media and in, on the internet that we can Google, you know, Tulsi or Ashwagandha or random things and, and start taking herbs or eating in a certain way because it's trendy or popular or because our neighbor told us it worked for them that may be completely counter to our own healing, unfortunately. Yeah, and, so- and, I, and, and we're all in this together. I have to constantly check with self and say, okay, wait, wait, am I feeling seduced by that because it's so trendy or because I really need something that might be that category or that option? What's happening? Yeah. And that's what I love about Ayurveda is it's, you know, over 5,000 years old. The principles and philosophies are timeless. It's not about eating Indian food or uh, changing your religion. It's nothing like that. It's understanding principles of nature. And so my belief is that every culture on this planet that was indigenous um, was practicing Ayurveda. They were working with the moon cycles. They were working seasonally. They were wild crafting the herbs and they were in tune with what their surroundings were. And essentially that's the essence of Ayurveda is just being aware of your environment, both internally within yourself and externally. And how are these things copacetic or not? You said the word dosha, and for the listeners, I want to help you there, because that's one of those words that would throw me off when I didn't know what Ayurveda meant. So there are three doshas in Ayurveda, which describes the dominant mind-body state. You either are a vata, a pitta, or a kapha. So take us through those three, please. Melanie, what's a vata? What's a pitta? What's a kapha? Uh So these are the three general constitutional types and most people are predominant in one of them uh, and then have a secondary but what I really want the listeners to understand is that these all these three doshas are made up of the five elements of earth water fire air and ether or space so those five elements make up who you are in a certain ratio and everyone has their own unique ratio of earth water fire air and ether And that's how we're all so unique. So vata types, if you have a more predominant vata constitution, you are more predominant in ether and air elements, meaning you might be tall and thin or more light in frame. Uh, Out of balance could tend to anxiety or overwhelm or feeling cold or constipation. These are some of the symptoms when we're out of balance, but in balance, Vata is, you know, enthusiastic and they might even, you know, be a chatterbox, talk a lot, but they can be very creative and they're lighter. They're connected more to that etheric realm. They make great healers and uh, artists uh, when we speak stereotypically about these things. So that's the, the typical Vata. And then Pitta is made up primarily of fire and a little bit of water. So pitta types physically are more muscular in build, more athletic, we could say, uh, in their physical build. They're typically these type A personalities that see things as black or white. Out of balance can be very judgmental, uh, critical to themselves or other people. They're very intense. (laughs) It's fire. They can be really sharp and they can be sharp in their speech. They can be sharp in their perceptions. 
imbalanced pitta types make great leaders. They're luminous. They're bright. They're charismatic. Uh, so we have sort of the, the light side and the shadow side of each of the doshas. None, not one dosha is better or worse. They just have different qualities. And then we have kapha. And kapha types are made up predominantly of earth and of water. So when we mix earth and water together, we get mud. So that muddy substance is cool and smooth and slow and thick and heavy. And so these types are more stocky in build. They're heavier in build. Uh, They're typically slower and steadier. They have a lot of resilience. Um, And in balance, they're very nurturing and loving and um, comforting and grounding. But out of balance can tend towards heaviness, uh, maybe even lethargy or depression, uh, overweight or excess fluids in the body. These are other symptoms of kapha. So, and I just want to say, because I just put in the depression word there, and that can pique people's interest. We can have, each of the doshas have their own expression of depression. So not just kapha types get depressed, but also vata and pitta types. Uh, But there's different qualities to the type of depression. And in Ayurveda, it's a qualitative science. And so we look at what are the qualities of the elements? You know, we have earth that is stable and steady, that is cool. We have water that is fluid, that is mobile, mobile that is uh, changeable, adaptive, and fire, which is obviously hot and sharp and spreading. And we have air that is mobile and uh, changeable. And we have space, and space is where all communication happens. Space mm-hmm. is where all of our thoughts occur. So sometimes if people within their own mental space Uh, have no room for new beliefs, have no room for uh, seeing the world in a different way, they might struggle more with with healing. Uh, They might struggle more with uh, overcoming symptoms unless there's a willingness to begin to see things differently, whether that's something as simple as, you know what, I think I'm going to stop eating fried chicken and, and French fries three nights a week because I see that that's causing me, you know, health problems. So we need to have enough space so that we can have a new perspective. And then on the other extreme, if there's too much space, that can be very overwhelming to people. They can go into sort of the abyss or the loneliness or the apathy uh, or uh, more of a vata type depression, the loneliness, the disconnect. So when we have to understand the qualities of the elements. And then the main principle in Ayurveda is that like increases like. And that opposites reduce. So if you've got a lot of fire already in your natural constitution, if you do things that are going to increase your fire, like eat spicy food and drink red wine and are super intense and maybe exercising in the hot time of day, all these things will increase the fire. They're more of the same. So to bring balance, we think about, well, what are the opposite qualities? So for someone of pitta nature, fire nature, then okay, they're going to need to cool things down. They're going to need to literally chill out physically, mentally, emotionally. So in that way, we understand the qualities, which are called the gunas in Sanskrit. And then we know that the opposite qualities will help us bring balance. Does that make sense? Totally. And I want to reiterate what I think I understand. So every person, um, I'll use the word you use, nature. Every person's nature is more dominant in one of those three um, mind-body states, but that the goal is to 
really balance all three states and all three states are present in everyone. Is that correct? Well, this is where it starts to get a little more complicated. (laughs) Uh, So I'll try and communicate this in the, the simplest way. So at the moment of conception, your doshic makeup is imprinted, let's say. So your ratio of those five elements at the moment of your conception is established. So say, let's just say for argument's sake, you're 40% pitta, 40% vata, and 20% kapha. Okay. So that's, that's the same percentage of those elements uh, throughout your life. If you maintain that, you're going to feel great. You're going to feel like I'm, you know, in the flow of my life. I'm healthy. I'm happy. I'm in. I feel myself. Got it. As soon as that ratio starts to go to something different, that's when we start to feel off. Maybe we have symptoms. They might be mild and transient, maybe a little bit of gas or bloating, maybe a little bit of heartburn or a little bit of constipation. People ignore those things where in Ayurveda we would say, gosh, those are the red flags. We want to start paying attention to the mild and transient symptoms. But the the moment that we go out of balance, if we know how to come back to that you know, 40%, 40%, 20% ratio, then we're going to maintain our health. What happens typically is people, you know, we, we're brought up in our life. We eat what our parents fed us. We are thrown into a school system and then into a work environment that may be not conducive to supporting our specific makeup, our mind-body dosha or constitution. And so it starts to pull us out of balance. So it's not that we want um, all of the elements to be equal, but we want to return to that original ratio, that original state. Got it. Yeah. Does that make er- sense? Totally. It, it's, okay. a, it's a perfect circle because earlier you said um, the words already whole, not broken, knowing and reconnect to source. So mm-hmm. if you were a 40-40-20, that would be what you are ultimately reconnecting to and rebalancing. Ultimately, you want to be those numbers in the perfect yes. balance for that individual. Yes, precisely. Yeah, got it. Um, I want to go to the emotional because earlier you said emotionally stuck and can't heal. And in my coaching business, I notice that pattern quite often, which I'm always so relieved when someone knows they're stuck emotionally and they need guidance and they need some tools and they're willing, as you said in the very beginning of the show, you're willing, you're open, you're um, curious about options. But when you're in that emotionally stuck place, and, and if you would take our listeners just through the reality of what you've had to endure emotionally recently, it's a very powerful place to show the power of the Madhuri method, your methodology to save yourself in one of the most unimaginable traumas. Mm. Yeah, so I, I, and I've just finished writing a book on grief and loss, in fact, that will be coming out in 2018. And um, this was really inspired uh, by uh, a recent loss or initiation, I like to think of it sometimes, um, that I endured. And when I started writing the book, I realized I went all the way back through my life and was looking at sort of my story of losses that I can trace back to, you know, my parents getting divorced when I was 10 years old and a whole myriad of of things throughout my life that that might be 
sort of normal and maybe we don't pay a lot of attention to. But when when I was able to look back, I could see a, a trend, I could see a thread. And uh, in my early 30s, I went through a divorce, which I thought at the time, oh, gosh, this is going to be the worst thing I'll ever have to endure. Like it, it seemed immense and grueling and it was just very traumatic uh, to, to move through that divorce. Uh, almost four years ago, my, my life partner, who I had been with, we had met actually in university and had been together for a few years and then had separated in our early 20s and gone off and lived our lives and, and reconnected both after we'd both been married and divorced and he had a, a son. And it, had, it was sort of coming back to uh, like getting a second chance. And we always spoke about that of like, oh my gosh, it's so amazing. You know, we're back together again and uh, how powerful that is. And uh, we lived together and his son lived with us part time. And one day it was pretty much out of the blue. Uh, there had the last month my partner was going through a lot of difficult things. Um, and he was he was sort of the eternal optimist, everyone's, you know, cheerleader and Mr. Positive for a lot of the time. Um, and literally out of the blue, Lar, he killed himself. Mm. And the shock of that uh, and the trauma of that incident that literally... Uh, yeah, shock is the only way I can say because here's a man that was the valedictorian of his high school class and the, you know, captain of the basketball team and was just sort of the light of every party to go from from knowing him in that way to having him disappear literally overnight. Uh, my nervous system and my psyche couldn't comprehend. I don't think anyone, you know, anyone that knew him could comprehend um could yeah. comprehend that he would take his life. Like there was so much for him to live for and we'll never completely understand what goes on for people. You know, as a friend said to me after this happened, she said, you know, we're not supposed to understand because that level of consciousness that someone gets into or is taken over by, uh, we, we're not meant to understand. We're not meant to sit in that. And some people do. Many people experience those thoughts of wanting to kill themselves and they don't necessarily follow through with it, but they have existed in those, those experiences. So this incident in my life and other incidences in my life really force, well, it didn't force me. I chose it actually. I chose, um, after my partner's death, I remember saying, I'm going to have a, really good life like I just decided and I actually used some swear words there which I won't use on your show but um you can it's not I, regulated <laughs> by the networks oh okay well I was like <laughs> I'm gonna have a fucking good life good and I had, yes. I had really uh, I made that try and it was through tears in my doctor's office that I said this to her like I knew on some level that I couldn't let someone else's choice determine the rest of my life so I began to look at my mind because I was in a mental emotional hell and I knew that I was the only one that could take me out like nobody nobody could help me I really realized that pretty early on like no one can help there's people that might be helpful (laughs) and might be have a good heart and really well intentioned but no one could take me out of my pain but me 
And so I began a process of practice. It was a, probably the most rigorous spiritual practice I've ever endured of looking at every time that my mind slipped into that you know, neural pathway of doom and gloom and grief and negativity. And there were so many times that I was just in it and that was excruciatingly painful and there was nothing I could do. Like when, sometimes when grief is so strong, we're just in it. And then as the days and the weeks and the months and the years went by, I really started exercising that muscle of presence. And I, I really believe that when we're present and when we can tap into the reality of present moment, there is no thing wrong. There's nothing wrong. So that was my practice of coming back to like, so for instance, right now, if I was doing the practice, I would kind of call out, I would label like I'm sitting, I'm sitting here on my friend's bed on the corner. I'm looking out the window. I see sunlight on uh, the greenery outside. There's, it looks like a shriveled up pomegranate on the front lawn. <laughs> so this is, pre- this is reality. This is what is actually happening. You know, I can feel my left hand is leaning back behind me and my body weight's on it. So in that extreme presence, I get a sliver, a moment of relief from the, the grief, from the trauma, from the pain. And then I would choose that over and over and over again as best as I could. And sometimes it would be easier and sometimes it would be more difficult. I am so sorry for your loss. Mm, Thank you. So you really had to figure out how to navigate. And that takeaway that you just offered, I want to ask a little bit about. If, If you name it, if you say, I'm sitting here at my microphone with my headset on talking to Melanie about grief, I feel that differently in my cellular body and I work on that same tool often which is to just check in and see where my brain is because I can feel it's not present. Is that something that could be helpful for someone who can't sleep? Because I often hear about those that are, you know, on their knees in grief. Yes. Um, which you've lived through to show the other side when you're in that fetal position and you're unable to even sleep and you don't want to swallow pills to sleep. Mm-hmm. Is it helpful to name in the middle of the night, like I am lying in my bed? I am. Give us a tool yeah. for that oh. time of the day or the night. Yeah, that's actually one of the examples I give a lot because the nights are often the hardest and they were for me anyway. That was been my experience. You know, the darkness sets in, the aloneness sets in, and here I am. Here's the bed that I shared with my partner. He's no longer here. His clothes are hanging in the closet. His toothbrush is in the bathroom. Like all of this um, mm. remembrance of the loss, remembrance of he's gone, he's gone. And so that's a reality too, the reality of he's gone and... So what I would do, I would lie in my bed and I would say, I feel the bed beneath my body. My head is resting on this comfortable pillow. I have a duvet cover over my body. I'm comfortable. I'm warm enough. And then the, and then the mind would loop around to the horrors and images and um, story around the pain that I was experiencing. And so I would feel that. And then when I've had enough of feeling that pain, I would, again, focus my mind and say, Um, 
I'm lying here on this bed. And I, I can do anything. So, so other forms of, of that presence would be what I would call positive distraction. So sometimes I would take my mind into the past and, and focus on memories that I knew were going to be good, that weren't going to send me back into the loop of pain. So I wouldn't think about my partner. I would think about, you know, going to a keg party in high school and being with my friends and laughing and drinking beer and probably all the things we weren't supposed to be doing. Hmm. Um, and, and that memory would make my physical body feel different. And so that's the thing, right? Our, we can't separate the body from the mind, from the emotions, uh, and then I would loop back into the pain and the grief. And sometimes it would be so overwhelming that I would just have to kind of ride that wave. And then when I had a little bit of space, and again, this is what I was talking about in Ayurveda, that space is so important. A little bit of space and a willingness to go, okay, I'm willing to see this differently. Uh, I would source, I would try and come back into presence. And then from there, try and find a thought that feels a little bit better than the last one. And a little bit better. And so sometimes I would even make things up. And I think that can be a positive form of distraction, too, of make things up of saying, you know what, my life is going to be good. I'm going to be stronger because of this. I'm going to, um, you know, have a, have a place of inner strength within me from moving through this. Or sometimes the mantra of this too shall pass works really well for me when there's there's pain or struggle there of like this too shall pass or this isn't impermanent or... Uh, and I do believe, and I don't think this is something to tell people when they're in grief, but um, on some level, I've chosen this. On some level, my soul can handle this. Yeah. And for me, and maybe that doesn't make someone feel better, but for me, that makes me feel better. So I cultivate and create the thoughts that I know are going to make me feel better. So for someone that might be be like playing with their cat, they know that petting their cat and spending time with their animal is going to make them feel better or looking at pictures of their grandchildren. So it's finding, knowing what your anchor points are um, that will bring you back into a reality and be into finding a thought that feels better in your body. Yeah. Find a better feeling thought. Yeah. So a lot of, a lot of the work in my healing that I sourced from was both the work of uh, Byron Katie and of Abraham Hicks, and I would really um, reference those two philosophies as being the cornerstones of my healing, and that I continue to use to this day. Melanie, when you think about tools for the listeners, might it be helpful also to grab a journal when you're feeling better than that deep, dark night of the soul, and maybe write out a couple of better feeling thoughts Maybe jot down some memories that are destined to make your cellular body feel better. And I'm wondering if there's also value in creating a mantra, you know, even if it's I'm going to have a better fucking life. I mean, or whatever one might use to just have as that grab onto in the middle of the night. Totally. I think it's really important that when we are feeling okay or even good, and this is for listeners that are like, well, I haven't you know, experience deep grief, but I'm not feeling great. You can do this practice from wherever you are. You can do this practice from feeling great in your life, but even wanting to expand and amplify the greatness uh, to, yeah, get a journal, write down as many things as you can that you're appreciative of, that you're grateful for. It can be as simple as I'm breathing. 
my legs, like I can walk to the kitchen, to the fridge. I have food in my fridge. I have a roof over my house. I have uh, a computer, meaning I have internet, meaning I have enough affluence to be um, connected, you know, in in the world with this technology, it, we take so much for granted. For me, I often trip out on like hot water in the shower or like water that mm-hmm. comes out of my tap that I can actually drink and it won't kill me. Like these things we take for granted, if we poured our attention and and into what I think is the reality of it is this is a miracle. This moment right now that we're connecting, Lar, is a miracle, yeah, there's so I'll much say. beauty in it, right? Like there's so much here. There's so much available in this moment. It is so incredible. And we forget that our life is a miracle. We forget our body is a miracle. We forget that we're a, spo- a soul on a, on a journey and that it's exciting and that it's, it can be exhilarating, even the loss, even the grief, that this is, it's what we came for. And that the only choice we have is how we respond to it. We don't always get to choose what happened to us. Not consciously anyway. You know, I I didn't consciously call in to have my life partner kill himself. But what I know that we do get to choose no matter what you're going through in your life is how you want to be in the middle of it. What you want to make it mean about you. What you want to make it mean about the world. About spirit. About everything. So yeah, writing those things down so you have a journal, a notebook dedicated to gratitude, to things that you feel good, to good memories. Yeah, and put it by and, your and, bed. Yeah, and, and to to touch into that as often as you can. And the other thing, yeah, the mantra is is important. Look, we have, I think it's 80 to 90,000 thoughts a day, and it's said that 95% of those are the same thoughts we thought yesterday. So we're, we're so conditioned. We're like robots. So to decondition, to literally reprogram our neural pathways and to have a different experience of reality, it's work. <laughs> it's not just going to happen. We have to choose to see things differently. We have to want to say, you know what? Is there possibility, maybe just a little sliver of possibility for me to see that this incident that I would say without a doubt is the worst thing I've ever had to be, go through? Is there any room for some beauty in there? Is there any room uh, to honor the grief and the darkness and to not press it away, to not think this is who I am, to not define myself by it? And so that we use a mantra is anything that we repeat over and over. And unfortunately, most of the mantras people are repeating to themselves are, I'm not good enough. I can't. Life is hard. Whatever the the mantra is, and it may be subconscious, and that's when it is very difficult because the subconscious is running the show. So when we can consciously choose mantra, a saying, an affirmation, a phrase, and plug back into it, the repetition of that, not just once in the morning, which is fine, but you think, that's one thought, <laughs> one time in the morning. No, you have to you have to work it. You have to let it reverberate through your cells. You have to make it so much a part of you that you begin to believe it. And that it begin begins to become an expression of who you are. I love that. And and we're circling back to the fact that it's the holidays and so maybe this exact moment in time is the perfect moment to really take ownership of the story around the pain and to come up with something that is an empowering mantra 
to use through the holidays, you know, because I think this time of year is certainly heightened if someone okay. isn't, you know, if you're in that horrible first stage of grief um, or you're contemplating something that you're going to do in the new year that's really emotionally large, there's great energy at this moment. So to get that mantra right now. Yeah, exactly. And to to find something, for, and for any mantra or affirmation, it needs to be short, like one sentence or less. It needs to be in positive and present languaging. So you're Can not, you, oh, yes. Sorry, I didn't mean to, the airwaves were weird. Say that again. Uh, it For the, the mantra or the affirmation, it needs to be short. So a sentence or less, it needs to be in positive and present languaging. Can you share one of your mantras that are powerful for you? Um, I am love. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> That's mine. So <laughs> mine is mine is I am loving, I am love. Inhale, I am loving. Exhale, I am love. I love <laughs> yours is I am love. That's a beautiful way to end our show today. That's great. I am love. Yeah. Yeah, and I say it all the time, as you put it. It's not just in the middle of the night. Um, it's during the day. It's in the morning. Or as you had said, in the morning only. No, it's all the time. I will just think it, think it, think it. And now I use it when I'm driving because I notice when I drive, I feel a little bit uh, overwhelmed. So I'll just be like, oh, I am loving. I am love. Look at this traffic jam. <laughs> yes, right, right. Yeah, unfortunately, I haven't used it when I'm driving yet and probably need to. <laughs> That's where I need to really exercise my mantra. <laughs> I know, it's my greatest challenge on the roads. Yes. You know, I'm in Oregon and everything is just so crowded now. And you see angry faces, Pima Children says, Everywhere you go in the car, you can see angry face in person oh. driving next to you. And so sure. whenever I see angry face, I've learned to grab that mantra and, and maybe zing it onto that angry face person, too, mm. because it's such a depiction of stress. Um, Melanie, let's talk a little bit about how people can find you, work with you. Um, your practice is in Vancouver, British Columbia. But Melanie also shares her retreats and Ayurveda yoga teacher trainings internationally and also offers remote Ayurvedic spiritual coaching. So let everyone know how to best find you. Yeah, so my website is madurimethod.com, and that's spelt M-A-D-H-U-R-I, madurimethod.com. People can get in touch with me there. Uh, if, if you want to, there's on the homepage of my website, people can sign up and receive a complimentary self-healing package, which is a yoga nidra practice, which is uh, the equivalent of 30, uh, f- four hours of sleep, and it's a 30-minute practice. It's a really rejuvenating practice and there's a self-care video and a meditation that you'll receive if you want to stay connected um, through my newsletter list so people can find me through madurimethod.com and I would love to hear from any of the listeners I'd love to hear any of your feedback from the show and and stay connected definitely and I love that we're connected on Instagram my personal favorite Um, But I want to spell it again so that everyone realizes the word method is part of the website so it's oh yes sorry M-A-D-H-U-R-I-M-E-T-H-O-D.com. Ah, perfect, perfect. And that will lead someone to your Instagram account once they're on your website, correct? 
Yes, I'm fairly new on Instagram, and I'm pretty sure that my handle, is that what it's called, my handle or my page, whatever it is there, uh, (laughs) Melanie Maduri Phillips. You can find me on Instagram and on uh, Facebook. I'm on there as well. What a great honor and pleasure to talk to you, Melanie. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, Laura. Thanks for the connection um, and the great questions and really for diving in. I, I really loved our time together. It was a beautiful hour, and thank you. Happy holidays. You too. Happy holidays, everyone. Thank you for listening to Feel Good Naked Radio with Laura Redmond. Please join us live again next Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Until our next show, be you and feel great in your own skin. (laughs) 